Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. Jake, great to see you back on the Philosophy podcast. Um, we had our first uh, little preview of the Minto Cup a couple of weeks ago, and now we get to look back at uh, a memorable Minto Cup. Uh, Jake Elliott, the voice of the Vancouver Stealth. We'll see if that continues. Hopefully it will. The voice of the Minto Cup, the voice of the Langley Thunder senior and junior programs, and in my opinion, the best cross announcer out there. Jake, welcome to the podcast. My pleasure to be back, Jamie. Uh, just so the fans know, I don't have a pen that clicks in my hand for today's interview, so our audio should be uh, much clearer. Let's say that. Good. Love it. Um, all right. Well, what I wanted to do with this Minto, with this uh, podcast was dive into the Minto Cup, and I wanted to kind of take a little uh, a chronological look at this because I, I think that there's obviously there's a lot of controversy and people are going to want to hear about this but you know more importantly there was great teams and great players and great performances um from a lot from from players on all the teams and i feel like if we start with the round robin and kind of go through day by day we can talk about so many interesting things so i'm going to let you do most of the talking but give us a little bit of a recap on how this thing started and right through the round robin and then we'll get into some other things yeah uh Okay, I'll see if I can recollect uh, 11 days ago, which seems like just yesterday and then an eternity all at the same time somehow. But um, yeah, it, it started out with uh, Coquitlam and Calgary, yep. I believe, was the first game on the docket. And Coquitlam won that game 16-1. to And he kind of thought, my goodness, like Del Bianco almost with the shutout and the Minto Cup. Never been done. I don't believe. I know it's been done in the Man Cup before. I'm not sure if there's ever been a shutout in the Minto Cup, but Del Bianco holds Calgary to one goal, and that goal came pretty early in that game for Calgary. And then Coquitlam kind of found their legs a little bit. Second game, another blowout, a, a, almost a record-setting night for Jeffrey Teat as he put up 14 points in that game, six goals, eight assists. Uh, the record just shy of that at – 15, I want to say, so very close to that and very close to a couple of records. Uh, throughout that was Paul Gate's record, from right, from the 88 uh, Well, Paul Gate actually owns the record for a single or for a single Minto series and did it in six games, mind you. Clark Peterson now sits in second place, so this is probably a good way to put this record in perspective. Clark Peterson now... Oh, all alone in second place with 43 points through the Minto Cup series. I believe he did that in, I want to say, nine games, maybe 10. Paul Gate in 87 put up 58 points in six games, oh which God. holds the single series record for a single Minto Cup. So he did that back when it was just BC against Ontario. It took yep. six games. That was the fifth year the Esquimalt Legion had been to the Minto Cup, their first time that they won. And Paul Gate went absolutely insane during that uh, Mitchell Cup. 28 goals, 20 or 29 goals, 29 assists. 
in six games for, for Gators. So uh, pretty insane. Wow. But Clark Peterson was awesome for Brampton. Actually ended up outscoring Jeff Teat in the tournament uh, by a single point, 43 to 42. So those two guys actually now second and third as far as a single Minto Cup scoring record goes. Wow. Um, but a single single game record, uh, Teat just coming up short of that, against a 25 to 8 victory for Brampton uh, over Okotoks. And Okotoks and the two, were good. I mean, you know, yeah, folks were they weren't good. They weren't good in that game. I'll no. say that they weren't good in that game, and both goalies got chased a couple of times. So yep. then the next night, uh, day two, the two teams flipped around. Coquitlam played Okotoks. Brampton played Calgary, and it was another blowout victory for Brampton. I can't quite recall. Fifteen to three, I think, was the score in that one. Yeah. The the second game, Coquitlam and Okotoks, much closer. Uh, never really in jeopardy of Coquitlam ever losing that game, but a 12-7 victory for Coquitlam in that one, which set up the big Saturday, Super Saturdays. I was kind of referring to it all uh, week long. The Alberta Midgets uh, played Team Ontario in the gold medal game of the Midget Nationals, which Alberta won for the second time back-to-back national champions at the midget level, which is just the division below when you – enter into junior a lacrosse or junior lacrosse so that was cool it was really a full arena for that game a ton of alberta fans were out to watch that then that set up coquitlam and brampton both two and oh teams and and it was going to decide who got the first place who got the bye who's going to have to play in the semifinal. and it was a penalty filled game like a really rough game coquitlam probably took five or six major penalties in that game game the Brampton power play went absolutely insane they were like eight for nine or something like that scoring on almost every single one um they go away winning that game 12 to 9 Coquitlam kind of mounted a late comeback but uh they just dug themselves a too big of a hole they were down like 11-4 after the 49 minutes of penalties for the Adonax 28 minutes of penalties for the Excelsiors which is which is just unheard of for Coquitlam. They're a very disciplined team, and I've never seen them play like that or take that many penalties. And the refs kind of bought into a lot of uh, falling down, let's say, by Brampton. So 12-9 in that one. So Brampton gets 3-0 and through the round robin. They get the bye. Coquitlam will face the winner of the, the next upcoming game, which was Calgary against Okotoks. And the loser of that game would be done with the Minto Cup. Their Minto Cup would be over. The winner would get to play Coquitlam in the semifinal. That happened to be Okotoks. They got past Calgary, I want to say 11-6. So pretty convincing victory for Okotoks in that one. And they did that without their captain, Harrison Matsuoka, who went down with a screen to Achilles in the very first game in the very first shift for Okotoks, which was just devastating for them. You can imagine what it would be like for Coquitlam to lose Ray Bowering or Brampton to lose Jeff Teat. Like it, was, it impacted their team a lot to lose their captain. And then they lost one of their top scorers, a guy that they picked up from British Columbia at the trade deadline, and Riley Phillips, who got a three-game suspension for uh, a penalty in the change box, let's say that, uh, an altercation there. He picked up a three-game match penalty. <laughs> that was not appealable as a chuckle. We'll get into that later, I'm sure. Um, so he was gone for three games. So they're missing their best defensive player and probably their best offensive player as they played Coquitlam in the semifinal. And Coquitlam won that one. What was the score, Jimmy? 11 to 6, I think, uh, in that one. Um, so another, not a blow of victory, but a respectable victory for Coquitlam that were never really, I mean, they were, I think they were tied after. It was it period. was uh, it was like four four after one. 
I yeah, and then a two-goal lead after the second, five, yes. Six to five, and then it went seven, yeah. five, nine, five, eleven, five. Yeah, they shut him out in the third period and, and punched their ticket to uh, the finals. The Philocrosophy Podcast is brought to you by JM3 Sports. Go to www.jm3video.com to get more information on the JM3 Video Assessment Tool. They get a day off. Brantham's got two days off. And then uh, we get into the finals uh, that started on the Saturday. No, let me get my day straight here now. Tuesday. Tuesday. So they had the Monday off. They start on Tuesday. Games one, two, and three were supposed to be Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Right. And then it was supposed to be a day off on Friday. We'll get into that as we move along as well. But Game one for Brampton and Coquitlam, and for 40 minutes of that game, Brampton controlled the game. Coquitlam was behind the majority of the game. They went into the locker room, I think, down two, maybe one, after two periods of play, and then came out in the third period and scored four straight goals right out of the gate, kind of took the game over, and ended up winning that game 11-9. to nine. And at the end of that game, with 2.7 seconds to go, rebowering, and and I've mentioned this before, if rebowering just hangs on to the lacrosse ball, runs into the corner, lets the buzzer sound, on we go to game two, and probably none of what transpired ends up happening. But that's not what happens. Rebowering scores with 2.7 seconds to go into an empty net to make it 11-9, which... When you only lead by one goal in box lacrosse, you always put the ball into the empty net for that two-goal lead. That's that's not not classy. That's not a, yes. that doesn't go against the code. You if you score with if you have more than a two-goal lead, if you put in a ball into an empty net with a three or a four-goal lead, you're asking for trouble. But because they're only leading by a goal, rebounding puts the ball into the net. Two point seven seconds to go, which kind of sparks off. A lot of pushing and shoving um, after the goal, before the face-off. Jeff Teat off the Brampton bench into the official's face. The official kind of back at him a little bit. Teat starts to walk away, then turns around again. And the second official ends up having to kind of escort him back to the bench. While all that is going on, other players are exchanging sticks and cross-checks and punches and words. And the official decides that's enough of that. It's a two-goal game with two seconds to go. Run the clock, and off to your dressing rooms you go. Once the final buzzer sounded, on comes the Brampton coaching staff, led by Dan Teat, straight after the official again, the same official that Jeff and Teat had had words with, and was being restrained by his own players, by the other official, from getting at said referee. and. Finally, that kind of calms down, and both teams are gone to the dressing room and game over, and we look forward to game number two. And as on, I got question. back – Yep. Quick question is, so there were two, two different times in which, in which T was having word, Jeff T was having words with the official or just one? Same time, but two separate kind of incidents. So he, he had words. He was nose-to-nose with the referee then turned away to go back to the bench, and then turned back again and had more words, and then was escorted off the floor by the second official. 
Dan Teat came on after the game. Okay. And was one separate incident, and then he was gone off the floor. So, you know, I, I it's nothing that I hadn't really ever not seen before at the end of a lacrosse game, especially at Minto Cup, and, and emotions are running high. And it should probably be noted that this, this was Brampton's very first time in a Minto Cup for all their players, some of the coaches. Uh, and I think their emotions just, they got the better of them. So as I was getting back to my hotel, kind of scanning through my Twitter timeline, I see a tweet from Jesse Fair, who is one of the coaches for Okotoks, saying, wow, big news coming out of the Minto Cup, which I hadn't heard any big news coming out of the Minto Cup. I had really no idea what it could be and started to do some digging. And I'm not about to reveal any sources or anything, but it came out that a match penalty had been issued to both Jeff and Dan Teat at the end of that game. And why that is important is because a match penalty automatically comes with a three-game suspension, which was agreed upon by all four teams heading into the Mental Cup that any match penalties would not be subject to appeal. And that's important to remember before all of this continues. So they, I get word, I get confirmation, I confirm it with somebody else that, yes, in fact, it is true that Jeff and Dan Tita both received a match penalty. Both were going to be suspended for three games, which would carry through to game four of the best of five finals, which essentially, and no disrespect to Brampton, but to take their head coach off their bench and then take the best player in junior A lacrosse off the floor Brampton was not going to have a chance to beat Coquitlam, who already had a one nothing series lead, beating them the previous night. So uh, it gets it gets really convoluted from there, Jamie. But somehow, some way, Dean McLeod, who has been the commissioner of Ontario lacrosse for the better part of 37, 38 years, including a mental cup that I was part of back in 1993, where he kept me from playing in a mental cup finding some unsigned paperwork. So we have a bit of a history of Dean McLeod and I, but that's another story for another time. Yep. Um, somehow, some way, he found a way to what he called, I, I'm trying to remember the name of it now, but it was more or less like a civil right, like due process that every, like if you're convicted of murder, yeah, every person has the right to an appeal. Even though it was agreed upon not to be able to appeal this, he found a way to get the appeal. And what he did was because the first match penalty that was issued to Jeff Teat came at 2.7 seconds to go, but on the score sheet was not written up as 2.7 left on the clock. It was written up at the 20-minute mark. So they didn't appeal the actual suspension. They appealed the application of the suspension, how it was given, when it was given. And Governor Ron McCory from the Canadian Lacrosse Association, in his mind, thought, I've made a mistake here. I cannot allow this not to be appealed. And that's how the door opened for the appeal to happen. Stay with me. Once the appeal was up for appeal, 
Jeff Teat gave his review. Dan, we'll take Dan Teat out of the equation right now because his appeal was never going to be overturned. He agreed that he crossed the line. They agreed that he crossed the line, and he was suspended for three games. So whatever Dan Teat said, did, which was threaten of an official of bodily harm, which carries a three-game suspension, he did not try and appeal his suspension. They did appeal Jeff Teat's suspension, and – so now we get into a Minto Cup CLA Appeals Committee, which was made up of three Alberta representatives. They heard Jeff Teets' side of things. They heard Coquitlam's side of things. They heard Brampton's side of things. They tried to bring the officials into a room full of ADNACs, the commissioners, the appeals committee, and the two guys that had allegedly just threatened them into a small room to give their side of the story. The official said, we don't feel comfortable stepping into a room with two guys that just threatened us. We're more than happy to give you our answers, which they already had in their written game report. Uh, so they said they're willing to talk and give their answers and waited around for the better part of an hour, but were never asked to give their testimony in a separate location they refused to go into the room with everybody they said they'll talk but not in that environment the appeals committee said you know what we already have your written statement we don't need we don't need your talk anyway the cla has a different account of that saying that they waited around for an hour they're more than happy to speak but were never asked about it the appeals committee said we don't need it we have your written statement and then came to the judgment that because Jeff T had only taken 44 minutes of penalty time in his five years, because the referees were not there to defend their statement and that Jeff's reputation was as such, they were going to overturn the suspension. So this is all happening an hour and a half before game two is set to face off. This happened at 5.30. Face-off was supposed to come at 7 o'clock. Why they waited an entire day and let an, you know 12 hours fly by them without addressing this earlier, good question that I don't know the answer to. Anyways, they decided on all these factors, the appeals committee that is, that they were going to overturn Jeff's suspension and allow Jeff Teat to play. All of a sudden, Jeff Teat appears onto the floor for warm-up, and then we catch wind, the officials are not going to step on the floor and referee the game because of this. They do not feel safe. They've overturned the suspension, which goes against what they believe was a match penalty. And now they're conflicted. How do I call a penalty against Jeff T? They're going to think I'm either cheating. Coquitlam's going to think I'm offside. There's no right way or easy way to referee a game in this situation. And they decided they were not going to referee. This now passes 7 o'clock, we get to 7.15, still no word on what's happening, 7.30. Finally, I get word that the game has been canceled. They do not have referees for the game, they're not going to play the game, and they empty out the Max Bell Center. Both goalies were on the floor, ready to play. Christian Del Bianco actually taking shots from, from youngsters on the floor after the game had been canceled. He stuck around to... You know, he's in full uniform, full gear, and, and taking shots from kids. Oralman was out there as well. 
And so as the, the story develops here, we find out that the officials, not only do they have the backing of referee in charge, CLA referee in charge, Greg Hart, who oversees the four-man officiating crew that has been delegated to referee the Mental Cup, but each association of Alberta, Ontario, and BC have also backed their officials and said, none of our officials are going to referee the Minto Cup. So they more or less got a nationwide backing from the entire officiating association through Canada to back their officials and say, nobody is coming in to save the day here. Nobody is coming to cross a picket line, if you will, and referee these games. So now the Minto Cup is in jeopardy because they've already canceled the game. Now we're into what should have been game three, and we haven't played game two yet. Now remember, there is a scheduled day off in there of Friday after game three. So now we are on Thursday, and we have not played game two yet. So after that, I guess what happens next is everybody gets back into a room. Go ahead. The Philocrosophy Podcast is brought to you by JM3 Sports. Go to www.jm3video.com to get more information on the JM3 video assessment tool. My question is, when was the threats of litigation, when did that transpire? That's what I'm getting to right now. Is this is this So we're on day two of this, essentially. Once they find out that the refs aren't going to ref, no refs are going to be flown in to take over from these four guys. The threat of litigation from the CLA or Minto Cup Committee, I suppose it would be, and the, and the CLA Minto Cup Appeals Committee, which was made up of three Alberta representatives, threatened litigation to the four officials for not honoring their contract. The, the threat of that and the fear of that changed the mindset of the officials. I mean, they, this is a game to them. This is a secondary income to them. This now became very real to them that this could have some serious ramifications, not only, you know, on their referee career, but their financial well-being moving forward. So with that being said, all sides came back together. Brampton, Coquitlam, the appeals committee, the referee in charge, the convener, all got in a room for about five or six hours and finally managed to broker a deal where New officials would be brought in, but only if the threat of litigation to the four officials who refused to referee was dropped and there was no supplemental discipline going to be handed down to them. Those four officials agreed to it. The RIC, Greg Hart, agreed to it. And boom, we had two new officials and Dwayne Bratt and Ron Getz for game two. And off we went in game number two in a game that Jeff Teat played in. And a game that Coquitlam won, nine to six, I believe, the final in that one. And the referees that were brought in were senior officials. They were certified officials. And I thought probably the best refereed game of the entire week were these two that just kind of stepped in out of seemingly nowhere to referee this game and did a marvelous job. So Coquitlam now, yeah, Coquitlam now leads the series two to one, or are one win away from winning themselves uh, a Minto Cup. And so the next day should have been a day off, but because 
a game was canceled. They had to play a consecutive game. So we were going to play on consecutive day. There was going to be no more days off if they were going to get the Minto Cup in and, and go the distance to five games. Brampton wins game number three. They, tie, they get back into the series two to one. I'm trying to remember the score from game the, the game that Brampton won. I want to say 12. 12, uh, 11, 8 or 12, 9 or something. 11, 9, 12, 9, something like that. They won by a couple. 11, 9, I think, might have been the score. And full, full marks to them for that victory. Del Bianco not really at his best. And, and Brampton, you knew they were going to put their best foot forward. Uh, to try and stave off elimination, and 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 they did that. They they won the game. They they got themselves back in the series. And a little drama at the end of that one too. I'm trying to recall. There's so much to go on, Jane. What what happened at the end of that game? Uh, the goalie came out and set a pick on 41. All right. So <laughs> <laughs> near the end of the game, four minutes to go. Uh, Steel Borman. Suddenly, you see him box across a hundred times uh, in a year. You know, ball goes in behind the goal. The, the goalie jumps out to the side of his goal to try and pick off the guy that's chasing the ball carrier that's running in behind the net, which happened to be Jamie Monroe's son, Colin Monroe. And the goaltender from Brampton and, and Colin Monroe collided quite heavily and, and sticks got up, hands got up. Oralman went down and was down for quite some time and, and did not finish uh, that contest with about four minutes to go. Brampton hangs on for the victory anyway. Actually, Del Bianco comes out of that goal as well near the end of the game and, and takes a bit of a bump from McClellan. No damage done there. No uh, penalties, no yeah. uh, suspensions or anything. Even the official got bumped down in a bit of a melee and everybody was kind of like, I thought, that. you know, like I was just like, oh my, oh my God, are you serious? The referee was, but I, like run over. <laughs> but I, yeah, he did. Not and, not but the Quillen guy pushed a Brampton guy. In yeah. Ref got yeah. Down. But you know what? I think that, happening was actually a good thing because that was about to set off that was right in between the two benches after yeah. a goalie had been hit and there was yeah. and everybody kind of stopped and went oh my god a referee just hit the ground and everybody stopped and like went to help the referee yeah. get up yeah. and then it was kind of like okay everybody's calm all of a sudden right like it went from being potentially explosive to like the referee just fell over let's stop this and help him and then it was kind of like okay the game's over so into Saturday we go now for game number four, and uh, Coquitlam jumps out to a 4 nothing lead. They lead 7-3 after the second period, and when Coquitlam gets a 7-3 lead on you after two periods of play and you got to get to eight goals to win, your chances are not very good against Christian Del Bianco and that Adnac defense, and that's, you know, with Clark Peterson and Jeff T. But – to Brampton's credit, they mounted the comeback. They get it to 7-7. They score a couple early in the period. Uh, They kept shipping away and momentum clearly on their side. Uh, Coquilla manages to get an eighth goal, and we probably should mention this too, Jamie. Getting the rosters delivered to me just before the game of game number four, I can't remember who dropped them off to me, but said, you might want to look at Coquilla's lineup, a couple of changes. And he kind of looked at me like, and so I started to scan, and there was <laughs> scan. I started to scan down the roster, and there it is: Chase Scanlon, who led the Adnax in scoring with 30 points, scratched by head coach Pat Coyle. And it wasn't because he was injured; it was a coaching decision. And Chase Scanlon was a healthy scratch, which 
Twitter just went nuts. Like people were asking, what is going on? What is he thinking? How do you take your leading scorer out of the lineup? I would have to say there's not too many coaches on the planet that would have the stones to make a call like that for the betterment of their team. It happened to work out and they did have a bit of a buffer. If they did have to go to a game five, they could have got him back in. But to make that kind of decision at a, at a moment in a tournament like this was just, it was insane. Really. It was insane. But Pat Coyle, give him credit. Worked out okay. So 7-3 after the second. Brampton mounts the comeback to tie it at 7. Coquitlam takes a lead, 8-7. to seven. Brampton ties it back, 8-8. Eight, eight. Off to overtime we go, which is a quick turnaround. You get a two-minute break, and then they play a full 10 minutes of overtime. If they're still tied after that, then they go to sudden death. Coquitlam gets the only two goals in overtime. Will Clayton with his seventh point of the game, and then Ethan Ticehurst on a breakaway makes it – 9-8, 10-8 in pretty quick fashion with a couple of minutes to go. And then they hold off the Excelsiors in the final two minutes and claim their second Minto Cup in the last three years, their third in the last eight. And uh, your boys, the two-time champion, along with a bunch of other guys on that team, I think there's about seven or eight guys, uh, all three in that picture there behind you. Yeah. Uh, Reed Bowering, Denny Armstrong, Johnny Hosseth, and uh, Christian Del Bianco, who – Picks up his second Jim McConaughey, which is the Mental Cup MVP. Picks up his second Jim Bishop Award, which is the most sportsmanlike outstanding performance award. And his second Mental Cup uh, to go along with a, just an amazing Junior A lacrosse career for, for Del Bianco, which I don't think there's another goalie that could rival what he accomplished in his five years in Coquitlam as a junior A goaltender. So um, after that celebration on, and uh, you're probably a little fuzzy uh, after that point, uh, Jimmy, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you, you wake up the, the next day. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. But so what it was, what uh, about is this, is that you tell, tell the listeners, cause nobody really knew, including me that starting with the Brampton, round robin game what what happened the ordeal that christian del bianco had to suffer through for the next all right yeah so you know it's not something i i really mentioned but you know i think it started i think it started jerk yeah before before the brampton game pre-game christian del bianco visited a dentist i guess before a mental cup and his tooth went abscess on him and if you've ever had an abscess tooth which i have it is one of the most painful things you can ever experience really and he had to go through an emergency root canal surgery for about three hours in the middle of the night before the semifinal game played through the brampton game with that infection his face was literally like, he looked like the elephant, man. His face was all puffed up. His eye was, like, shut. Yeah. Um, so he gets this root canal surgery once. Apparently, it didn't take the first time. They had to go back in a second time. He was visiting the hospital on a daily basis to get IVs in between games. Apparently, at one point, he took a ball off the, off the mask, and his face exploded. Like, the infection that was built up in his cheek, his eye had popped like a blister would or a zit. And clearly he had pus coming out of his eye, he said. So he, he was sending me like Snapchats of pictures of his face after each game and each day. And I said, Christian, like people, people should know what's happening with you because he wasn't, he wasn't at his normal level. Like he was still good and he was still winning, but he wasn't the phenom. You know what I'm saying? I was kind of like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And now we know what was wrong. He was playing through something that I don't even know 
at the end of the day, he's like, nobody needs to know. You don't have to tell anybody. I said, you know what, Christian? It's going to make for an even better story when you win and people find out. And and that happened to be the case. But, uh, you know, to be having pus coming out of your eye and try and play goaltender in a, in a national championship is just – And to be, uh, like, in tears, you know, on the verge of tears before oh, game one of the final series. Yeah. We won yeah. game one. And – Remember I texted you and I was like, I heard Dubs like might not be playing because everybody thought that he was in so much pain that it just wasn't going to be possible. And you're like, yeah, yeah playing. Yeah. Um, but it's just incredible. And frankly, it was probably lucky for Christian and for us that we did have the, the day off on Tuesday because he really, you know, he was a lot better, feeling a lot better by. by yeah. So, so that game that did get canceled really actually helped Christian, even though the kid was still out there taking shots from little kids even though yeah. the game had been canceled he's still a, just incredible and, and something that was really kind of unique to me and, and something I'd never really seen before and a lot of these third or fifth year guys if you will had their girlfriends in town with them and at the games and at the hotel with them and back in my day like that was just something you would at home sure but when you're on the road in a mental cup like the thought of bringing your girlfriend to the Minto with you would just never happen. But all these guys had their ladies with them, at least for the finals. Maybe not the round robin part, but all their girlfriends were kind of there in Calgary. And it was just kind of like, this is the new millennium, I suppose. This is what, you know, and, and thankfully, uh, Christian had his, his lovely girlfriend there that was kind of nursing him and taking care of him because he was really kind of segregated and isolated from the rest of his team while he was going through this and they were going out to the zoo and out for dinners and, and you know team doing team stuff and he was just laid up in bed and she was looking after him and you know a lot of my communication with him was through her and she was kind of updating me on on what was happening so it was uh just an incredible story and, and a finish to an absolute incredible career and I, I just I cannot wait to see what this kid accomplishes uh, not only his pro career but a senior A career and moving forward because he is I don't call him the phenom for nothing he's he's really spectacular and, and something special and as good of a goalie that Christian Del Bianco is he's an even better human being which is hard to believe like he is just Such the salt of the earth like you're not gonna if I have a daughter I was going to date a lacrosse player, which I would never want to have happen, ladies and gentlemen. Christian Del Bianco would be the one and only kid that I would say, you know what, go for it because that is a good man. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's the mental cup. They all have the girlfriends. All the good guys. Reed Bowering is another one to me. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, through through all that, while all this was going on, and I was calling these games, the information of what was happening at the Minto Cup was not being released. Like I had to check with this person, check with that person, and ask questions of this. And, you know, although I wasn't getting paid for it and I'm not a reporter, I felt almost obligated to bring this story to people because nobody else was really digging to find out what was happening. Everybody was kind of sitting back waiting for answers. And I thought, like, I can't just – sit back and, and, and wait for, wait for this. I want to know what's happening too. So I, you know, I kind of made it, made it my priority to, to bring the truth out in this and, and try and present it in a, in a truthful way. So I made sure that, you know, whatever I put out there, I knew to be real. 
because I would confirm it with one person, then confirm it with a second person before I even, you know, is this true? Yes. Okay. And then, but you know, it, it was, it was a very, I like, I picked up, you know, like close to like 650 new followers in 48 hours on Twitter. And the story right. just kind of got fire and, and people were, you know, sharing their opinion. And I just kind of just tried to keep my opinion out of it and just kind of kept presenting facts and both sides of things. And, you know, uh, the CLA released a document, the appeals committee released a document that were very conflicting stories on Let's how the appeal for a minute. Tell us about yeah. conflicting documents so people understand. You you referenced it earlier, but let's talk, let's dig into that a little bit, and then let's try to figure out why this all. Yeah, happened. yeah. So, like I said, the the only reason that the appeal actually happened is because of the way that the appeal was, or the suspension was delivered. So they once the door opened, then it was out of the hands of the CLA. It became the hands of the appeals committee, and. They used, like I said, they used Jeff's reputation. They used the ref's written game report, but they didn't use the ref's testimony. They didn't, they didn't, they said they asked for it, but the refs didn't want to go into the, to the room where they wanted to hear it from. They were willing to give their statement, but just not in the environment that the appeals committee wanted them to give it. And so at the end of the day, they never got it from the refs, which I think they were okay with because they, I think they wanted Jeff Teat to play. And, and at the end of the day, I wanted Jeff Teat to play. I wanted to see best on best. No doubt. And, and I didn't want to have an asterisk beside one team or the other that, you know, they didn't win because Teat didn't play. And that ended up to be the case. And I think that was a good thing. But the way that the whole thing was handled, uh, you know, so that's where the biggest discrepancy is, is that the appeals committee says that the officials refused to talk where the CLA release says, oh, no, we were willing to talk, but they just didn't want us to talk where we wanted to talk. So a little bit of he said, she said there. I think at the end of the day, the biggest concern was we can't lose the Minto Cup. And I had heard that if Jeff Teat's suspension was upheld, Brampton was going to leave the Minto Cup. And... The referees are saying, if Jeff T plays, we're not refereeing. And that's really where the impasse was at. And that's how they you know, ended up threatening litigation. That's how they ended up getting new officials and all of this. But, you know, it always comes back to the almighty dollar, Jamie. And I think, you know, Jeff T is obviously a marquee draw for fans to come and watch play. And never mind the fact that Brampton walked out of the Minto Cup losing two or three, four more games of gate revenue and beer sales and ticket sales and, like that would have been a devastating loss for the Minto Cup committee. And I don't know if – yeah, and I don't know – I don't know if that played a factor into their decision to overturn the suspension for Jeff T or not. But when I look at it big picture, I can't see how it doesn't. Because yeah. if they suspended Jeff T and Brampton leaves, they are left holding a bag of nothing. Right there, it's an empty bag instead of a full bag. So whether it did or didn't, I don't know. But when you look at, it, I mean, that's that's my personal view is that money had to play a factor in that. And if that's the case, that's unfortunate that a decision like that was made because of that. And for me to see what happened in St. Regis with an official getting beat up, to see 
potentially, and I wasn't down on the floor. I didn't hear the words that were spoken from either Jeff or Dan Teat. But at the end of the day, like I've been guilty of it myself in my coaching career and as a player, and probably heck as an as a broadcaster too. Verbally abusing officials. It is a rampant problem in lacrosse. It is a major problem in all of sports. There is a massive shortage of qualified, willing officials because of this. And it's been this culture for so long that it's acceptable and it's okay to verbally abuse officials. You think about it, Jamie, if you worked in an office and somebody in your office did something you didn't like and you walked down the hall and just ripped into them with F-bombs and explicits and because you didn't like the job that they did, yeah. what would happen to you if you did that in a workplace environment? You'd be out on your ass in a heartbeat. But because it's in a lacrosse game and emotions are high and this is what's been acceptable for the last 80 years to be able to swear officials and yell and say whatever you want, and the official's supposed to have thick skin and just take it and do his job and shut his mouth. It's 2018, and it's, it's not okay anymore. And because of what happened in St. Regis, it was ultra-magnified. And I, and I said this probably a few times. Keith Gagne was one of the two officials who was from BC. Marcus Fisher was the other. Keith Gagne was probably the worst official that you could probably think of that you'd want to threaten. And it came at the worst possible time to threaten an official. But the fact that they had the whole country of officials behind them, willing to support them, tells me that this is a major, major problem. And everybody was willing to get on board and back these guys because of it. So I'm, I'm, on one hand, I'm glad that this happened because it's brought a ton of awareness to a real problem. Um, I'm glad Jeff Teat was able to play in the tournament because he's one of the best players on the planet. I think he needs to check himself a little bit. I don't, again, everybody says Jeff Teat, this is not in his makeup. He's not that type of guy. I saw him say something to the referee. I know that for sure. I don't know what he said. Obviously the official side across the line, but I'm glad he was, able to play and I'm glad the Minto Cup continued but for outsiders looking in on our sport we are an absolute joke like we are a laughing stock to people in mainstream sports like hockey or football or baseball or whatever they look at lacrosse and they see things like games getting canceled at a national tournament because a referee won't officiate we see things like Team Canada refusing to go to Israel because the CLA can't get their you-know-what together. It's a real serious problem, and it makes us look ultra-foolish that we don't know what the hell we're doing. We have the best sport, the best product. When you watch the sport in its purest form, there's not another better sport on the planet. But the people that govern this sport, the people that make the decisions of this sport, cannot get out of their own way and hold this sport back from being a legitimate mainstream sport because of bull crap like this. And it just, it needs to stop. It needs to change and it needs to move in a completely different direction. And it's just been one thing after the other here in 2018. 
And it's got to stop. It's got to change. It's got to stop. It's got to change. And I hope all this coming out of this will lead that in the right direction. Yeah, well, my guess is it's going to. And, and all the things you said, I agree with. I'm so glad, you know, as a Coquitlam fan, you know, we want – the Coquitlam fans, all we wanted to do was play. Yeah, and it should be it should be mentioned that, Jamie, you know, Coquitlam through all of this was – they handled themselves with the utmost of class and integrity. They, I think at the end of the day, they wanted Jeff T to play as well. They didn't, they wanted to beat the best. They didn't want to have anything wanted to them. Him. Right. And they, they've been in the mental cup 10 straight years and they just, you know, they just stayed silent. They waited for decisions to be made. They tried to help broker these deals to, to get the games back going and couldn't have handled themselves any better than than they did. It was just incredible. Like I, I, I don't know if I would have been able to keep my emotions in check like the way that James Abbott and Scott yeah, Worley yeah. did. I mean, think but, about uh, James Abbott being in that meeting, knowing that yeah. probably Jeff Teach shouldn't play based on the rules, and yet, yeah, saying yeah, let's let him play and get this thing going. And right, that feeling of like you know, it's just it'd be very conflicting and difficult. Yeah. Right? Yeah, so you know, it's one of us knew either. We're like sitting around. It's not you know. All of a sudden, the game is supposed to be played on on Wednesday at seven p.m. and it's like six o'clock and there's nothing out yet. I can't remember the timing, but I mean, they pushed the game back to eight o'clock. Yeah, well, even yeah, game 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 two. Like I was still sitting in my hotel, going like this this. I'm going home tomorrow. This isn't going to happen. And then all of a sudden, boom! It's an eight o'clock face off, and I was like, oh, I better you know hop in the shower here. Here we go, right? But yeah, it should be known to Coquillum, you know, more or less they just uh, – they were they were ready to go whether he was in the lineup or not and wanted to play. So, um, at the end of the day, I think the right team won. I think the better team won. And, and uh, that's that's the way the Minto Cup went. It was a wild uh, wild story. Actually, I'm going to have the referee in charge of Greg Hart on my podcast uh, coming up tomorrow. Make sure you check that out. Lacrosse okay, classified. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And uh, I got a ton of questions uh, from fans, referees, and uh, all sorts of people that uh, could be a long one because uh, there's some real there's some real fastballs there for him, and I think he's ready to answer them all. But um, awesome. yeah, it's, it's yeah. Go ahead. Notes here, you know, um, just turning the attention just back to some of the players, and we talked about Clark Pedersen, incredible uh, second all-time scoring leader in the Minto Cup. He's the nephew of the late, great Dave Huntley. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, you know, a great kid, super emotional after the game, as you can imagine, and um, about, about everything. And um, I just want to say, tip my hat as a fan to him. Jeff Teat, you know, has been one of my favorite players in the world to watch. And, 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 and you know, we all say things that we regret. We all make mistakes. Um, you know, whether he did sure we do. never know. But at the same time, I don't think any of us should, like, look at him as – I mean, his record does speak for itself. He, he yeah, you know, yeah. One one mistake, one mistake from a kid. If in fact he didn't make oh. a mistake, is not you don't paint a picture, entire picture with one stroke. So right. I, I'm not, uh, I'm not condemning Jeff T for sure. anything, and I'm sure guys have said much worse to to referees <laughs> on the floor uh, in the heat in of the moment. Now. So yeah, yeah. so um, you know, absolutely. And, and and one final thing, if I can. Jamie is um, is just to mention Les Wingrove, who 
obviously uh, passed away earlier in the year and was, uh, you know, the, the founder of the Quilton Junior Ironac franchise and uh, a guy that was very close to that team and, and, you know, a guy that he would have been the guy in those rooms with those meetings instead of James Abbott. It would have been Les Wingrove in there fighting for Coquillum. And, you know, from, from a man from the top down, you could, you could just feel, and they, would, and they would tell you this, that they felt less there with them the entire week. And I know, I know he was watching that tournament. I felt it in my heart as well. And uh, I really feel like that, that Minto kept there in 2018 for Coquillum was, was for Les Wingrove. Yeah. Great person. Uh, sorely missed. Well, um, anyways, Jake, um, so great to hear your opinions on all this stuff. As a fan of lacrosse, it was an amazing event. Uh, I, I, I haven't listened to you uh, go through the finals, but I'm going to start watching. I'm going to start watching, <laughs> watching those games tonight. Uh, really pumped about it. Um, and uh, and so, anyways, really looking forward to your podcast. Tell the tell the tell the group where, where we can hear this. Yeah, it's called Lacrosse Classified. You can follow it, uh, follow along on Twitter at Lax Class. Uh, we shorten that up. I'm at PXP for Sports, the number four sports. Um, you can subscribe on iTunes, and the podcast is posted every week on uh, TSN 1040 Radio, their podcast page. Awesome. Hey, Jake, thank you so much for the time. Good luck. Are you, are you off to the President's Cup soon? Or yeah, I uh, got more data, kind of recoup the vice a little bit, uh, spent some time with my family and my pets, and then uh, off to Nanaimo for, for Thursday for some Prezi, Prezi action, and then uh, that'll wrap up the summer season for me, man. Nice. Well, let's keep in touch for sure. Um, always great to chat with you, and uh, enjoy the President's Cup. You too. Thanks for having me on. All right, Jake, take care. The Philocrosophy Podcast is brought to you by JM3 Sports. Go to www.jm3video.com to get more information on the JM3 Video Assessment Tool.